Joyce Crosby, and you're listening to the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast. Hey, it's Tom Matthews from Return Living Dead and Friday the 13th, Part 6, to name a few, and you're listening to the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast. Enjoy. Let me introduce myself. I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. John Russo, screenwriter of Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast. Enjoy. What up, Mean Militia? I'm Mean Joe Grizzly. And when I'm not trying to take over a shopping mall and make it my new fortress against the undead, I'm here at the Grizzly Cave. Watching movies, reading comics, listening to metal, and of course, crushing beers. And we are once again back with brews and reviews with our Romero Trilogy. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Really excited about this one. I got a lot to say about this second film here. And I just can't wait to really dig in deep and get into this. I do as well. We got plenty of beer to drink, too. So this is going to be another exciting episode where we dive into possibly... Possibly the greatest zombie movie ever made. It's definitely up there, and I got a lot to say about that. And Ken Faree's forehead. Oh, yeah. Ken Faree's forehead. He needed to give up that hairline. But he's still my boy. But before we get started, I want y'all to take a second and follow the show on all social media platforms, as well as joining my meme militia on the show's official Facebook group by clicking the links down in the episode description. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show on whatever platform y'all listen on. By doing this... Y'all support the show and help me continue to talk to y'all about all forms of badassery. So let's go ahead and get started. This is Brews and Reviews. So, Dawn of the Dead was released 45 years ago this year and had a budget of $640,000 and it made $66 million. Uh, this movie had a hard time getting uh, getting like funded. Uh, George Romero, he waited several years after Night of the Living Dead in order to get, like, to go back into a sequel because he didn't want to be typed as a horror director but he caught hell trying to get funding for this movie uh it actually if it wasn't for uh if it wasn't for dario argento of all people italian horror legend coming in to finance the movie they would have never it would have never picked up it would have never happened and it's crazy because there was only one condition that Argento wanted. I think it was Argento and his brother Claudio. Claudio, uh, they only had one condition, and that was they had the rights to international distribution. And that ended up being one of the biggest downfalls for this movie, and we'll get to that later on. But uh, what's the message in this movie? Um, I feel like this movie is uh, 
it's it's it talks a lot about how uh, like disenfranchised groups of people especially in the beginning with latinos and african americans and then i think the big big impactful message after that is consumerism with like the the malls and and shop, the shopping culture of the of the late seventies going into the eighties. Yes, the the theme in this I can tell like in the seventies and everything happening. You're looking after Vietnam. You're looking after civil rights. You're looking at you know the the real upstream of like hippieism, rock and mm-hmm. roll, drug mm-hmm. use. Everything else going on in the 70s. On the cusp of the 80s. Yes. But mm-hmm. also what you're seeing is like the hardcore, just engrossing amount of capitalism coming into play mm-hmm. here. And not necessarily saying that it's going to be the fall of society. It's a whole other conversation we're not going to have today. Right. But you can definitely see it in this movie that if it wasn't for how we were as Americans at the time, based on consumerism, the birth of the big mall kind of scene of things, you definitely wouldn't have the same issues that we would have uh, as we do in the film. I agree with all that. Um, it's it's funny because I think this movie has a lot to say, but I do think that the capitalism message is definitely the forefront with the big the big part of the movie taking place in the huge shopping mall and shopping center. So I, I, but I do think the the very beginning of the movie might be the most shocking part of the movie to me when when they're right when the National Guard, which appears it, I'm, I'm assuming it's the National Guard, they're all in blue jumpsuits. Okay, but. so in the beginning of this movie, what you're seeing is not National Guard. What you're seeing is what we've known at the time as public martial law. Public which, martial law. That's what right. you're seeing is SWAT. SWAT and teams, like yeah. police action happening inside of the city. Then that makes sense because I'm used to seeing just because of modern film. I'm used to seeing Kevlar vests and flashbangs and all that stuff hanging from their stuff, and they were all just in jumpsuits and helmets and gas yeah. In the, in the '70s, like especially with, with police attire and all that <laughs> stuff, that's all it was. Right. Like ballistic vests and what you see is like your Kevlar and things like this, very militaristic, was new to policing at the time. Right. Um, if talk about the previous film. You know, we talk about the Night of the Living Dead. You see, in that, when you see police, they're just in just uniforms and shotguns, and that's about the best you're going to get. Right. Some revolvers. Now, ten years later, you're looking at post-Vietnam. You're looking at militaristic aspects actually being poured into um, modern society, especially when it comes to police action. So you're seeing like the birth of SWAT and all that stuff kind of like grow a little bit more. Like seeing like shows like Miami Vice and things like that that kind of take place around the same era. You kind of see some of those same aspects happen as well. That's the reason you see right off the bat they're carrying M16s, they're carrying you know, you know, semi-automatic pistols instead of revolvers. They got a little more upgraded arsenal. They're in the armored vehicles. You wouldn't have seen that prior except after the Vietnam War when that stuff kind of leaked back into society. But what you're seeing in this movie at the beginning is SWAT taking over an apartment, like a high-rise apartment complex. Uh, going after like a high run like you know, either drug dealer or something and it really quite it was, said but it, it was a person it was of interest a, they said his name and I can't remember but I believe it yeah it was more like the the project building pretty much yeah. but they were going in there after him but one of the big things that I remember them saying was is that they keep their dead 
Yes. Because it was just part of the Puerto Rican culture and stuff at the time. Yeah, because based off the first movie, you realize, you know, in The Night of the Living Dead, they even talk about how like they don't stay dead. They keep coming back. You have to burn the body. There's actually two people, two people arguing. One, one's coming at it from a logical standpoint, and yes. the other guy is like, this is hellfire damnation. And you have like a humanitarian uh, person and a scientist kind of battling yeah, out between he, each other. He feels like, the, I, think the, I think the argument stance of the humanitarian person was we need to... We, we need to figure out a way to cure these people. And he's like, they're dead. You can't cure them. They just got to get up and create another dead person. You have to find a way to keep the dead dead. And the way of doing that was burning bodies and all that. Burning bodies and destroying it. the brain. Yes. People yes. were doing it in a very crude way. They were just doing like mass burnings and things in this film. Yes. It's the reason why these high-rise like apartments they were, they were doing it at the end of the night of living dead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this reason in this film in these high-rise apartments, people were dying. And instead of sending them off. They were putting them in the basement. Yeah, they put them all in the basement yeah. so they can try to give them a proper burial. But instead of giving them a proper burial, it's almost like you almost couldn't detach yourself from the dead. Mm-hmm. You know, like say like your mom, your brother, your sister, your father, whatever would die. You go, you know, you take the body at the time down in the basement, mm-hmm. and then it'd be reanimated. But you seal the basement. They're down there. It's a place, almost like a morgue. Right. Yeah. I would say a like a mausoleum. Yeah. A tomb of some a sort. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's away from the public eye, it's away from people, but then, you know, police and everybody gets kind of into, you know, the news of this This is happening inside of this um, this high-rise, this, these projects, these apartment buildings. So they have to go in and, you know, neutralize, you know, the potential threat behind it, as well as this high-rise also being used as drugs and crime and everything mm-hmm. else at the time as well, which kind of what leads off at first is the police action there and then it leads into what they find inside of the apartment complex itself which kind of spoils more into what happens later on i don't know what the asshole cop's name is that was on the swat team i don't remember what his name is mustache guy at one point he was carrying two m16s i think yeah he ran in he was fucking killing everybody and then he had a it, shotgun, the kind of heavy set fellow. Yeah, he was he had a shotgun. Dude, he, he kicked the doors with shooting kids. On, he was he was pushing out racial slurs like you let these such and such and such and such get a foothold, and they're like they're like roaches, and just a lot of awful shit was coming out of his mouth, and that that was kind of going. I think that was the spillover from what Romero was talking about in in Night Living Dead. Yeah, this yeah. movie is also another movie a part product of its time. Right. As well. Um, mm-hmm. You've done ran into, we're past social, you know, change, and now we're into everyone's kind of folded into being. Adjustment. Yeah, everything's been adjusted to where we're all kind of the same, you know, paradigm of everything. We're, 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 in, we're, in, we're in equal equal footing. Yes. But but some people don't. People haven't quite, not everybody's quite got the grasp on everything. Exactly. It's generation to generation kind of thing. Correct. But the main asshole character, um, cop that you're talking about in this wasn't just you know because of color because of race or anything else he was just straight blood hungry that is true. what he was he found an excuse like oh i'm just gonna kill anybody that's the reason he kicked in the door in that film he blew that one guy blew that guy head straight up and he was not a threat he wasn't it, i couldn't it, tell if he was it a was a sign of police though. brutality so i couldn't tell if he was a a, a zombie or not it looked like for a split second there i tried to pause it 
It looked like for a split second there he was a ghoul. He had like a blue. He was blue. Maybe, but then again, he could have just, just been, been an pro- older guy. Like it, it could have been the blue, the blueness of the um, prosthetic that was used yeah, as well. It, it could have been. But he just kicks open his door. It's like when dude's fucking head explodes. I'm like, God damn. And then he just keeps doing it. He, he didn't keep, care who was yeah, behind the other side of that door. You, you had and that's a, what leads up to that officer getting shot and killed by another officer for the exact right. same thing. It kind of showed. Hey, somebody needs to step in. Somebody needs to stop this guy. Got to stop the situation. Well, I think you had a before before that. So what ends up happening is, is we're also at the time we're introduced to uh, Roger, uh, also known as Trooper Troop. Yes. Uh, played by Scott Ringer. Um, also terrible hairline. Terrible hairline. Uh, probably the probably. Almost on the same par as Ken Farese. <laughs> he we're introduced to him, and he's he's kind of the cool, collected cop at the time. And he's just seeing them make his money, cause a little bit of a ruckus. He's in for the running until gun. the until that rookie got killed in front yes, of him. Yes, and that kind of changed everything. It, it kind of changed everything. He goes in, and then he sees this other cop acting acting crazy, and then they run into ghouls inside of the apartments. And they ended up having one of them literally almost wipes out the entire group that went in that apartment. Yeah, it kills like four or five people. Yeah, and then he's out there trying to stop this this maniac cop going around just killing people randomly. And before he could do, he I think he actually fights him for a little bit. And he gets thrown around, bit. and then out of nowhere, bullet fucking hits that some bitch right in his damn heart. And that was that's when we're introduced to. Ken Faree's character, which is probably one Ken Faree's one of my favorite horror actors of all time. I mean, his, his character in Rob Zombie's Halloween, Joe Grizzly, is one is is one of the reasons why I made this podcast. He, I mean, he for that is small, big Joe Grizzly bitch. Yeah, he's a he's this big ass dude, and I him him as peter washington he's definitely my favorite character and and he is the lead yeah again, again just like the original movie groundbreaking george romero has a black lead absolutely and just like the begin like the first movie you have like something going on it's got other characters uh, some kind of conflict happens then the actual lead comes into play and this sort would be ken Faree's character peter coming into the fold here and you really see him really develop throughout this film but at first you kind of don't know how to take him right at first well at first he's like i think at first they bring him on like he's almost an antagonist almost yeah he doesn't give a fuck right and if you act stupid i'm gonna get you sucker kind of yeah, way kinda i mean he he kind of had the um he kind of had that black exploitation yes pro- protagonist style to him at first like, I'm not going to fucking play with you. I'm going to shoot you if you act stupid. And then him and Troop, Troop's like, nah, I'm not I'm not that guy. Like, he was acting crazy. I'm not with him. I'm not with the other people that act that way. And then we get a bond that's kind of formed with them. Yes. And I think part of that bond mm-hmm. that comes through is because they ended up killing that officer and everything. They kind of look at each other. And it's yeah. like, we ain't going to talk about this. Yeah. The dead killed him. And he's like... The dead killed yeah, him, and they, they both, move on. They had an understanding. That, they they that, bonded through trauma. That almost. piece that piece of shit had to die, and yeah. I yeah I agree with that. Um, that we're also introduced to to uh, Fran Parker, played by Galen Ross, who is our our female 
protagonists in in this in this movie. And then we're also introduced to to uh, Stephen Flyboy, played by David Merge, and I feel like they're like the two, even though they they have moments, they are the two weakest characters. Yes, but also since you brought up Steve Flyboy, we can mm-hmm. go ahead and bring up the fact that Ken Faree's character Peter and Flyboy both had some kind of conflict between each other. There was some, there was a little bit of tension between them. I agree, and I think it had to. I think it had to do with Fran, because I think Fran, I, I, even though it's never really come out and said, I think Fran had something for, for 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 Peter Peter Washington's character. Maybe or she or, or how about this? She respected him. Yes, and, I can see and, that. She looked at him as like the hero, the kind of the muscle of the group. Flyboy was kind of the guy that was like didn't have the confidence. Of himself he could fly that. the helicopter, and that was it. Right. He was the I don't want to call him a cuck. He's just not really cuck. Kind of. But 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 he's but he's like the weak. He's the weak. He's the beta. I, don't, I hate using these things because I if you if you have he's the if, lesser of the uh, of all the three main character uh, four main characters excuse me in this film if you had to put him in a hierarchy yeah. it would be Peter Fran and then uh, the other SWAT member the blonde haired guy talking about a trooper yeah troop, troop and then it'd be Flyboy because the only thing that he was useful for was being able to fly the fucking well helicopter. I feel like I feel like Fly uh, Troop only becomes Troop only becomes lesser because he dies he dies early yes he dies halfway through the movie yes but um, if it wasn't for Troop Peter would never have been involved here that's true and I think because that's another Troop thing that Troop Steve saw was like friends. this is a guy yeah. I don't know him I don't know if I can trust him you know it's still the 70s so it's like I'm white he's black I mm-hmm. don't like his attitude I don't like his demeanor which leads in the scenes where they're at you know, the first time they're trying to get fuel for the helicopter, oh, man. and he runs into the first kind of like rural aspect of you know the dead, and you know Peter's over here um, clearing out this building, and he's going through and he's like trying to find snacks and all this, and he's got like, the two kids. He had to, that that scene is is so dark. Him having to kill those two kids, and you can tell his hesitation was still there, but oh, he understood yeah. that he, he needed to do what he needed to do. I think that was the make or break moment for his character. Yes. Yeah, he killed the the renegade cop, but I think that 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 moment is the moment where we've seen that character say, "Fuck, this world's changed." But you also saw the first like full real conflict between him and Flyboy, because Flyboy almost shot him. He did. You know, saw the opportunity. He also and he and he recollected that he realized like what was happening. Yeah, well, and, Flyboy also, Flyboy also almost got eaten. Yes, and almost got, almost got uh, Fran eaten as well. Correct. He uh he's just he's just inadequate. Yeah, because five minutes later they're in the helicopter and you know, Flyboy's falling asleep behind behind he's the sticks. Having hit him. Yeah, he and hits him in the back. He's like, "Hey, wake up!" And then that's when they eventually get to the mall. Right, and he's like, "You're trying to kill everybody. You're just trying to kill me. You just tried to kill me five minutes ago." Right. You know, like, and then that kind of brings in, you know, the conflict between everybody. But they squash it out yeah. really quick, which is good. Like, it yeah. showed conflict between race. It kind of showed conflict between not being able to trust each other. And immediately right after, as soon as they mm-hmm. land at the mall. And kind of see what they're doing for each other. It, it all changes. I like the. I, I love it when they when they land at the mall, 
I can't. I, I, I just recently rewatched this, but it's still escaping me. Uh, I feel like that they they figured out their little system on how to clear them all out first, where they would lead the zombies back to to this one area, and then they would take the they would take the long way around, and then come back and kill them, and then take them out. I can, I think they did that first, but eventually they get to a scene where. Peter and Troop are taking these 18 wheelers. Yes. And they're backing these trailers up to the entrances so can't no one get in or out. The only way to get out is by the helicopter. Correct. Which is brilliant. I love their way of thinking about that. But I think it was actually they did this before they cleared the mall. But yes, well, they, they cleared some of them all. They got supplies first out of right. the pennies. They, yeah, that's which correct. Actually, would be later on be known as JC Pennies. A mm-hmm. uh, little fun fact there. But the pennies right. department store, um, they went through the first one. You know, they got the wheelbarrow full of stuff. They realized, oh, we can't go back out the same way. There's too many, too many of the dead, too many mm-hmm. ghouls, whatever you want to call them. Right. Walkers, if you're another Walking Dead, whatever. Right. You know, so they kind of came out like, oh, well, this this place is two stories. Let's go to the other side. Let's go downstairs. Draw them out towards us. Mm-hmm. And then while they're down here, we're faster than them. Let's run back upstairs, get our supplies, head back right. before they can catch back up with us. I feel like that they had a... I feel like that they had a foolproof plan. And I feel like that the whole... I feel like that the way they fortified this place was brilliant. And, and, that, and that's the only way... I feel like that's the only way you could survive in this kind of situation is that if you're going to stay there for a while, you got to fortify it. Yes. And I think that they did that. Doing that immediately was great. And they had a lot of resources at hand as well to be able to right. you know, prolong their stay there. But I have a few gripes about what's happening inside of this mall. Mm-hmm. When you see Troop and Peter first go and turn the power on in the mall, mm-hmm. you know, they turn on music to distract the zombies. Cool. Mm-hmm. They turn the power on for all the, all the businesses and stuff. Awesome. Right. I still cannot find a, a single thought in my brain logically why they turn on the fucking escalators mm. because it brought it gave movement because that's what they talked about at the beginning it's like oh well it looks like they're all on the bottom floor it's just some scra- uh, stragglers on the top we can easily take those out we'd have the whole top floor and he's like that's a great idea and then not 45 seconds later it was turn on the escalators and you see the scene where all the zombies are coming to the escalators and riding the escalators upstairs Surprise the kid on the escalator, escalator again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that fucking good ball rats reference right there. And that's what comes up with this movie. It's like that was like the first dumb decision that Troop made. It's like almost drop right. power to everything. Drop power to everything. Why? Like yeah. if you would have just took a second and took a breath and just thought, you would have been able to have this whole problem a little bit better. I mean, unless he was thinking, oh, we can separate some of them from the bottom to the top and all that. But it would have been better off just keeping the power off and just sniping them off from the top floor because they couldn't get up there. Speaking of that, um, let's get to some of our favorite scenes. Um, I think that uh, we've already talked about the apartment scene and how like crazy that was. It um, was. That was, to me, that set the tone of the movie pretty well. Um, there's a lot of gore in that scene. There is. Fucking head explosion, that's all I got to say. Probably most um, of the gore in this movie is probably right there yes, until near the end. I agree with that. And then you got probably the I, I really enjoy I really enjoy the, the decapitation by the helicopter. Oh, absolutely. Like that one 
that one's crazy. Like I, I, I was, I was like, damn, how the fuck did he do that? Like, it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things that it's very simple once you once you realize what he does. But getting to the point, what I was saying is segueing into what we were just talking about. So when they get these 18 withers and they move them and they're trying to like block off the entrances and fortify this mall uh that's when troop kind of just loses his fucking shit he starts going crazy which it kind of comes out of nowhere he gets he, careless he gets careless but he's like he's like hooping and hollering and acting crazy like wow like every time he jumps out he's 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 being very laxodaxal and like you said very careless and he fucks up and he gets bit in yeah, several all places. That bag. All because of that bag is what got him bit. The fucking bag. In, inside of that bag is pretty important because at the time that bag had the keys. Right. To the mall and everything in right. it. Um, but if he would have just like not been, you know, so careless to begin with, and acting more like that officer at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. who was careless, is going through shooting whatever, he ends up getting killed. Right. Can I get some foreshadow in the troop? Because that's exactly what happens to him. He's careless. He's out here just running, gunning, fighting, you know, the dead or whatever. And then he leaves his bag Ken behind. Ken Free's out there just fucking doing what has to be done. Right. And and troops being careless as shit. Correct. Even Flyboy's up in the helicopter, like, trying to warn him. Like, hey, what, hey, what are you doing? What, he's, like, flying low as shit. Like, fuck you doing? You doing stupid shit. And then he gets bit on the calf and that shit made me cringe <laughs> i was like i mean they just take this big ass hunk of meat he gets bit on the arm first yeah he's been on like the forearm and then someone bites him on the calf and he's like Ooh! and i'm like yes is that kind of fuck i'd be too because that shit looked like it sucked and then ultimately troops fate is sealed and they kind of they know that they know he's gonna die Yes, but he's part. He's part of the core he's four. Part, he's part of the core core four. He's part of a nice screen six reference. He uh, he's part of the, the core four of the mall, and uh, they like put him in a wheelbarrow and have him run around. And he's he's taking pop shots at zombies when they're clearing this, clearing the mall out, and then he once again gets bit in the same fucking spot on his calf and that even made me cringe even more. I was like, oh my God, this is fucking... He's trying to climb in the back of that car. Yeah, oh God. And it it was just... It wasn't gruesome, but it was was enough to make me go, fuck, that's fucked up. But before we get off off of Peter and Troop, those scenes also remind me of one thing. And in this movie, for these two guys to be SWAT members, Mm -hmm. and I, I... as an acting police officer myself in the world, you know, you're trained to be able to shoot proficiently. Mm-hmm. These guys can't shoot worth a fuck. The only one that can shoot, well, I think that Troop and I think that Peter can shoot. I don't they think they were missing fly, like shots from three boy, feet away. Flyboy can't shoot worth a fuck. Oh God, no. Flyboy's terrible. No. But the they, girl, but, like trying to teach herself how to shoot on the roof during this whole scene was taking better shots than half the people were in this Peter film. Peter was the better shooter because remember when he, he would throw that M16 up on his arm? Oh, uh, you knew he was done. Yeah, he was popping your ass. He then. was done. <laughs> Troop, Troop would just... Troop was just... And now that I think about it, Troop was careless this whole damn movie. 
he, he actually got lucky he survived as long as he did um I like the raid at the end by the Marauders. Before we get that far, uh-huh. I also want to say what was really cool about this was they that whole era like area that they were at mm-hmm. up in the upper part of the mall, the office area, with all like the MREs and food and drinking water and stuff. Is yep. they painted, they put in fixtures, they put in TVs, they, they made that into a full fledged apartment to feel normal. Yeah. They built. And they wanted to get. They wanted to shut. They're themselves cooking dinners off. for each other. Oh, yeah. They're out here getting groceries. They're trying to maintain society. And that's exactly in what they're uns, doing in an uncivilized world. And th- those scenes are very, you know, important to this not, movie. Well, not only that, man, white man, black man, white woman, man, woman, family, cohesion. They Brother, can live together, brotherhood, camaraderie. regardless of who they were before. Correct, I agree with that one hundred percent. And 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 whether he he denies this intentional or not, it was yeah. George, George Romero denies a lot of his activism claims when it comes. No, one hundred percent. I don't care what the fuck he says. Right. These movies just it. scream out the you, police was, brutality. Right. Black and whites coming together as you know brotherhood. You know coming together as one he's equals. Very, he's very he's very cloak and dagger with it because one one interview he'd be like, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. And the next but he'd be like, nah, it's ah, not. He's like, I just uh, I just cast it right. My glasses right. are too big for my face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I love George, man. George is the man. Is, but he he would deny a lot of stuff. I do agree with that, and I think that that's what I think that 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 human aspect that that brings in it separates it from being just a a, a a ghoul fest. I guess is what I would say. I can agree. Night of Living Dead is a ghoul fest. Yes. This movie is a this is a thinking man's movie. Yes. It's a. Thinking, it, sh- it shows yes. you the du- like the duality of humanity. If something was to actually happen. What are you going to do? Right. What are some people going to do? All this. I know what Ken Faree is going to do. He's going to run up and just straight drive by, punch the fuck out of everybody he can. In this movie, I counted, he knocked out, ran up, punched in the face, knocked out nine zombies. (laughs) Just run by. It don't matter if you're dead or not, you're catching these fucking hands. (laughs) Ken Faree's You're either going to catch an M16 or you're catching ten fingers. Like, it's... So what's going to happen. So by the time we get to the raid, that's when that's when you see that society has just went to fucking hell. That people are just taking other people's shit. And which, which leads to what you was bringing up with the raid at the end. Right. Which I actually thought was probably the weakest part of the film. I do, think it, I do think it kind of goes all over the place. And I think that the... I think the movie is all over the place at the end, and it flies like lightning. The last like thirty minutes feels like five minutes. A lot, yeah, a lot of stuff happens in that movie in that last last thirty minutes that seems to gloss over a lot of stuff. Yes, we see the death of Flyboy, which he, I think he went out like a G. Oh, he did. He went out the best way he could have went out. Yes, he did. He wasn't no bitch. No. That's what I'll say. Which, at the beginning of this film, you would have thought he, he was, was going to go a, out like a He bitch. was a very, very, he was a jellyfish. Yeah. No backbone, but still had some punch. He died a tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, I, I think that, I don't think that, I don't think it's the worst part of the movie. I think it's just the, the I most, do because the it most, got goofy. It did get goofy, like, well, okay. 
So I do think it got goofy with the pies and the faces. Yeah, like stuff that's like what that. threw me off. Like right. if it was just straight full on biker raid, which I think, it, we knew was going to come right. around. Someone was going to find this mall. Someone's going to see that helicopter. Someone's going to see. Oh, someone moved these trucks in front of the door. Something's in there. Something valuable is in right. there, and we want it. Right. And there's and they get on the radio. They're talking to them. You know, it's 30, 40, 50 bikers in here, but they are doing the most outlandish, dumb ass shit. I think it was the best way they could show, even though it's not. There's the best way to show how humanity's depravity was taking over. We were becoming very barbaric. Exactly. Everything was funny that we were desecrating these right. dead that were walking. Uh, uh, I, I don't... We were finding joy in chaos. That's correct. Which also is... You can see that today as well in the right. same way. Like, I ain't gonna lie. Like, nothing's cooler than, you know, like, catching something on fire or, you right. know, taking something you out to the woods it, and blowing you, it up with a shotgun But or you could do it without repercussions and or, it wasn't just things it was people or which kind of got dark something that was kind of that was living you were toying with killing correct you was finding joy in it which was kind of another thing where it was very you know cynical very sadistic mm-hmm. kind of way of things in this film However, throw, like what threw me off was throwing the pies in the face. You the know, seltzer water. This seltzer water, like what? Right. What, what the fuck? Three Stooges bullshit is this? Well, I also think I think that 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 kind of stuff kind of brought is it down. Zombies means Benny Hill. Like, <laughs> well, it kind of that stuff kind of brought it down for me a little bit too because the one thing that brought it down to me more than the seltzer and the and the pies in the face and stuff was the fucking dude that kept putting his arm in the fucking blood pressure machine. Yeah, then why are you checking your blood pressure for? Dude, he was, he was surrounded by more than zombies. He's like, let me check the old ticker out. And they tore his fucking arm. I had my amylodipine in 10 days. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? So I don't know if it, it just showed the barbarism or the or the, the, the way humanity had just sunk to lows. But I appreciate this, this last 30 minutes. And that's because it kind of catapulted one of the best individuals that ever that ever entered the horror genre in one way or another and that was Tom Savini he played he played the character of Blade like pretty much the lead yes. biker and he also he didn't really and the thing is he didn't really get get his praise for playing this role he got his praise because he did the special effects and the special effects in this movie was a huge upgrade a hundred percent a huge upgrade even the acting in this film was a huge upgrade now don't get me wrong i'm not gonna sit back and act like the special effects in dawn of the dead are the greatest in regards to how the zombies look they were all purple (laughs) Yes. <laughs> they were purple, and they've been know, choked out. But you like know, Homer Simpson like choked right. out, turned purple. But you know what? I didn't mind it. I think no. it gives them character, and I think. And here's the other thing too. And I never really. I I need to go back and watch a few documentaries because I watched a few years ago. But I swear to God, I, I'm gonna make a claim right now that's probably wrong. But Dario Argento and Claudio Argento funded this movie. And if you know your Italian horror, all the blood in Italian horror is bright Kool-Aid red. Yes. And that's how the blood is. It's just fake looking blood. But it's everywhere. Yes. And it's it's like an art style. Even though 
all it was is they fucking couldn't get the color of blood right. Well, I mean, depending on the person and depending on the situation, blood's a variety of colors. But it ain't fucking. It's more of a dark. No, it's, it's like dark red and brown. <laughs> the blood, the blood, almost like like a yeah, muddy red. The blood, the blood's pink, pretty much. Yeah, and and. That's fine. I love Italian horror, so it didn't bother me. But some people are like real turned off by it. But you could kind of see Argento's touch, that and the Goblin soundtrack that's yes. played. That that's definitely Argento's touch. But I do want to say because of the international distribution rights mm-hmm. and how everything happened with this is that this movie is extremely hard to find on physical media. Yeah, to watch on physical media or even online streaming in general. Yes. I had to go to YouTube. Yeah, this movie and- is available on YouTube. And it it's is. available in 4K even, which was phenomenal. Very nice transfer. Agreed. Make sure you get YouTube Premium because there's like commercials like every like 30 minutes. And it, it's it works. Pain though. in the ass. It does work. But it is fantastic. I don't usually I don't usually condone I don't condone pirating and and I know that. A but lot when it's of people, not available, what are you gonna do? That's a fact, and that's the that's the thing that we owe Dario Argento, Claudio Argento for funding majority funding of this movie. And I'm forever grateful for them, and that just makes them even bigger horror legends in my in my book. Yes. But that distribution rights thing just fucked everything up. Now I, I don't even know who has the rights to it anymore. I don't either. But I do can say one thing to kind of wrap this up is that this movie, I chose this movie to kind of be like, you know, a little bit of a spoiler, but my favorite of this trilogy because there's so much that comes out of this mm-hmm. movie that we see in modern zombie culture now oh, and yeah. modern horror. I mean. Zombieland, they're in the mall. Right. They're in the arcades and all that stuff. The Last of Us, they're in the mall. They're mm-hmm. doing the arcade. They're sitting here surviving. Right. You know, every game you look at, every movie you look at, you know, TV shows. If you find the mall, you're well, good. Dead, Dead Rising. Dead the Rising. Dead, the Dead Rising video games, they're they're definitely set. Dead in Rising mall. Three is in a mall. Right. Like, Dead Rising One was in the mall too. It just it, it was straight up Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Uh. I'll say this: the impact, the impact on uh, on horror culture is is obvious. It's obvious. Yes. But one of the things that casual horror fans probably don't know is just because of those distribution rights. The reason why Dario Argento and Claudio Argento wanted those distribution rights because they wanted the potential to make multiple sequels in Italian yes. in Italian movie sequels, and that is where we get Zombie Two by Lucio Fulci we get Zombie 3 we get I think it goes all the way up to 5 and you get like Hell of the Living Dead and shit like that that all spawned because of this because movie because of this movie and those movies are classics in their own and life. let's give a shout out to Monroeville Pennsylvania which is a western town of Pittsburgh right. with probably one of the coolest malls you could have in the late 70s early 80s this mall was awesome can you not can, can we not say that uh can we not say that George Romero is George Romero should be celebrated in Pittsburgh? And he is. Inside of the Monroeville yeah. Mall today is a museum yeah. based on George R. Romero's career. Is it really? Inside of the Monroeville Mall I, I is a museum. No, I have no idea. As well as, you know, in the scenes where they're in the hockey rink in the bottom of the the mall, mm-hmm. um, that future on in movies and Zachary Mary make a porno Kevin Smith uses that exact same mall and that exact same hockey oh, that's, rink that's cool to film the Monroeville Zombies for, hockey for, scenes for those which is actually know, a minor league team there in Monroeville for, for those of you that don't know uh, Jacob Gotham is a huge Kevin Smith fan. I am 
Bonafide 100%. So do you think that this is the... um, But there's a lot of aspects in between those two, which kind of helps me out and things like this. So do you think this is, is... Is... Well, let's save that for our ranking of the trilogy. Uh, what 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 grade are you giving it? Four and a half out of five. This has everything you want in a classic horror zombie film. It has everything. It has the buddy cop aspect. Mm-hmm. It has the action. It has the gore. It has the conflict at the end. It has the good story. It has a climatic ending. Mm-hmm. It has a, a what if kind of ending. A you little, know what happened hope, afterwards. A little more hopeful ending. It's very lighthearted. It, it, it started. It started out real fucking bleak. And yes. You thought that you you think that Peter's gonna, you know, gonna just go ahead and accept his fate and just fade off because he just. But he fought he back. Did, he like did, a boss like a yeah, motherfucker. He didn't want to. He didn't want to fight anymore. And no. he and he found that that fight and got out. And I love Kim Faree, man. Kim Faree is is man. I love Kim Faree. He's awesome. The only thing I don't like about Kim Faree is his hairline. His movie. hairline's terrible. This movie. Thank God, like in later movies, that hairline's gone. He, he gets rid of that. He gets rid of that head. He just got a ball head at that. He should he should have gave up the ghost a long time ago. I bet he yes. looks. I bet he looks back, and he's like. The fuck was I thinking? <laughs> I need that LeBron James treatment back then. What's yeah. my hairline at? They're yeah, right. So you're giving it a four out of five. I'm giving it a four and a half. Four and a half out of five. Out of okay. five. The only gripes I have at this movie without it being completely perfect mm-hmm. and getting a masterpiece level like five out of five ranking for me mm-hmm. is the goofiness of the biker scenes at the end. Yeah. If they would have kept it, you know, there was still tongue in cheek humor in through this movie, but it was situational between like the brotherhood of characters there you know cracking jokes on one another mm-hmm. you'll have that it's camarad- uh, camaraderie co- co- a very hard word for me to say but brotherhood <laughs> between each other i get yes. what you're saying you know you'll have that but with them coming and throwing pies and zombies faces yeah. and seltzer water and all this benny hill three stooges you know stuff going on and then it. in between this you got ken free up top just sniping motherfuckers behind columns inside of this mall up in the air vents and shit. Yeah, yeah like it was just 007 you know mm-hmm. fighting in the you know, elevator which is where Flyboy passes you know yeah. he ends up getting killed and all that he's a very gnarly zombie too when he, comes he is too. you know that the the, the humor over mm-hmm. the top comedy like almost circus style comedy is what deducted my points away from this film mm-hmm. but this is a full on. I can go back and watch this movie a thousand times and love it oh, a yeah. thousand times. I think I got. I think um. This was a catalyst for everything that we see today. I think so too, especially in modern zombie culture. It Absolutely, was, it was like it, it was even more ground. I think this was even more groundbreaking than the original Night of Living. Dead. I agree. I, I I'm gonna have to give it a a four point seven five out of five. Gave it a little bit higher score than I'm gonna me. have to do that. I love this movie. You went all the um, way up there. This movie. This movie's in my top five maybe even top three of the 1970s i mean this movie means a lot and, and to me personally i love this yeah. i love the remake even the like, remake the remake is very respectable respectable like this movie is just great but it's still at the end it's the comedy that just it's just so much yeah. at once that it just deducts the full half i do think that's the big that's the blemish on it it's a good movie. and it's a really big like Osmosis Jones style zit on Bill Murray's forehead. <laughs> <Osmosis>. <laughs> Level of blemish. Not, not Osmosis Jones. It's an underrated film. Uh, yeah. I agree. I, I think that I, I like it from the 
from the upgrade special effects to the good human characters to the the goblin soundtrack i like i like it all so you're giving it a four and a half out of five and i'm going to be giving it a 4.75 out of five and it is grizzly grade guaranteed this is a must watch horror film just like the original just like night of living dead but maybe even a little bit more so absolutely more so the original night of the living dead it gets its respect it gets being a classic but dawn of the dead hands down is the catalyst moment for any zombie films moving forward any horror films moving forward you can see it in thousands of things that happen today in modern culture and it's just absolutely a fantastic film get past the goofiness at the end and it is a fantastic almost borderline masterpiece zombie film agreed Go watch it, guys. If you ain't never seen it, go watch it. If you have, watch it. It's on it. YouTube for free. Yeah, it's on YouTube for free. You don't have an excuse. I mean, if you have seen it, go watch it again. And with that, we bring another episode to an end. Thank you all so much for your continued support. Without y'all, the show isn't possible. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to click the links in the description below to follow me on all social media platforms. Hope y'all are enjoying our continued journey into the Romero trilogy. Um, I'm enjoying the shit out of it. We got one more movie left to review, and then we're going to do our ranking in the same episode. So uh, that'll be Day of the Dead. Uh, to me, it's underrated. Um, I don't know how Jake feels about it. I agree as well. Yeah, I, I, I think it's... At least with the special effects, but we'll save that for that episode. So stay tuned for that. It'll be being released pretty soon. But until next time, remember, I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. Kim Faris hairline is an improvement. <laughs> 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 <laughs>